Kia ora. Kofu Smitho. Namai Welcome to the House. You might know that Parliament has a secretariat, the machine that makes Parliament's legislating run smoothly. Well, government has its own version of that to keep the executive ticking on the straight and narrow. Kia ora koutou. my name is Rachel Hayward and I'm the Secretary of Cabinet and Clerk of the Executive Council. Can you tell me where we are? Uh, at the moment we're sitting in the Cabinet Room on Level 10 of the Beehive. Way up in the clouds. It's actually really quiet in here. Yeah, it's, it's the absolute top of the building and it's in the centre of the building. And yeah, the acoustics are amazing in here. If you were sitting across the other side of the room, Phil, you'd notice that just speaking at an ordinary level, you'd be able to hear everything that I said really clearly. So it must be really annoying if someone shouts then. There's not a lot of shouting. It's got what all cafes don't have but should have, which is some really good kind of noise material around the walls. Yeah, it's got um, wood panelling around uh, the outside of the walls above the table. So the table is um, just slightly off round and above the table there's a sort of a baffle that hangs from the ceiling that apparently between that and the circle of stone in the middle that, that creates a bit of a sound filter as well or so they tell me. Oh really, that's very cool. It's actually a really pretty room, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lovely room, isn't it? And you do get a sense of, I always get a sense coming in here of the kind of gravitas and you think about the decisions that have been made here over the years and yeah, absolutely. It it does not feel casual and formal, the sort of place you'd put your feet up on the table. No. Neither of us have put our feet up on the table, it has to be said. No, but it's also, it, um, it's not kind of starchy, is it? It doesn't have that sort no. of old-fashioned formality. It doesn't feel colonial. No, no, that's yeah. a good word. Despite the fact that there's pictures of, actually of the former sovereign on the wall. But yes, there we go. we've got the late Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh. We haven't got official portraits yet of uh, the King and the Queen Consort, so oh. they'll come in time. Okay. The two job titles you have are kind of a interlinked pair that typically are held together, right? Yes, they have been held uh, separately in the past, back in the day. I think at one stage a decision was made that there wasn't enough for two people to do back in the 40s. I bet that's not the case anymore. No, since the 1960s I think they've been held by the same person. Okay. So you're Secretary of the Cabinet in that role, I'm responsible for the administration of the Cabinet system, and as Clerk of the Executive Council, I'm responsible for the administration of uh, Executive Council and recording the decisions of Executive Council. People are reasonably used to, well, people that listen to our programme at least possibly, are reasonably used to the idea of Parliament having a clerk, you know, the guy that sits at the table in front of the Speaker and gives advice if necessary uh, and runs the secretariat that does all the paperwork and that runs the select committees more or less and that records all the decisions that happen in Parliament. You're sort of the equivalent of that, is that right? In terms of the Executive Council, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're sort of the matching pair. And, and, and Secretary as well, but, but yeah, EC, it, it, um, that description fits really well. And the Executive Council is a body that not a lot of New Zealanders know about. I think everybody's yeah. familiar with Cabinet, but there's probably less familiarity with Executive Council. Yeah. Run us through that. On Monday, Cabinet meets in here, but then afterwards the Governor-General turns up. That's right, in the afternoon. Uh, and Executive Council's convened usually about four o'clock. Perhaps just going back a step, so Executive Council is, it's the highest formal instrument of executive government. Yeah, so we think, we think that's the Cabinet, but it's not really. That's right. I kind of think of it as Cabinet uh, is the decision-making body. It's established by convention, not statute. But So Cabinet will make decisions. For those decisions to have the force of law, where they require laws to implement them, there's kind of two options. One is... Um, 
going through Parliament. So Cabinet might make decisions that then translate into bills and they go off to Parliament. But it might also make decisions that can be implemented under the authority of statute, but that are regulations or orders in council. And and people might have heard of orders in council. Those are literally orders made by the Governor-General in Executive Council. And the members of the Executive Council are ministers. When we swear ministers in at the appointment ceremony, they're appointed as ministers and they take an oath as Executive Councillors. That's one and twice, aren't they? It's not like all at one. Uh, No, they take two oaths, that's right. And the Executive Council collectively advises the Governor-General. Does the Executive Council meet here as well? Yes, it it meets across the corridor and uh, there's an Executive Council meeting room across the way. It'll always have at least two ministers, but um, often more ministers come to speak to their own items with the Governor-General. And she will ask questions and they will literally advise her around signing things through. It's not like the entire Cabinet sits down in a room again to go through all the same decisions with the Governor-General present. It's actually that they're reporting to her what the Cabinet decided from each of their sort of... Their own portfolios. Yeah, so there's a Cabinet decision on the matter and then Executive Council collectively advises her, yeah, but it's represented by um, a number of ministers. Going to see the King is where the things get done. But then before, I'm, I'm thinking way back when... Before you go and see the king, you all have to get together to agree together what line you're going to take. That's right. And that's the cabinet. That's agreeing together informally amongst yourselves, you know, what you actually think. And then you take it to parliament or you take it to the king. That's right. Which is that odd thing of cabinet's actually informal, right? It is. It is. And um, I mean, cabinet is held together by a number of conventions and it's really well established. Um, But yeah, it is interesting. It's not a statutory creation. We often talk about that. It's a, um, you know, it's not a creature of statute is the phrase that people use. I bet it doesn't feel informal, though, when you're there. You're sitting there sort of, like, following it and taking minutes, right? Well, taking decisions, not minutes. We record the decisions, yeah. You don't take minutes? We take working notes so that papers come up that'll have a series of recommendations... And so the minute will reflect the recommendations that were contained in the paper and any changes that have taken place. So so we'll just keep track of what the discussion is in terms of how those come out the other end for the minutes. But yeah, there's no formal record taken. How do you keep your mouth shut? Oh, it's not hard when you're sitting here in a room of 20, 20 cabinet ministers. Because of I mean, really, <laughs> sometimes I go to select committees and I sit there, you know, making notes if I'm going to make a programme about going And I just, I want to contribute. I yeah. just want to say, no, no, that's, you know. Even in the House sometimes, it's very hard sitting up top, watching, and not interjecting. Not chipping in. That's right. That's never an urge I've had, Phil, I have to say. I I guess it's because the role is really clear. You know, my role is about (laughs) making sure that the decision-making is robust, that the process runs well. Um, It has never occurred to me to chip in. So So I've not got the correct personality type for your role. (laughs) That's right. And I suspect that's right. There is a particular personality type that that would work in the Cabinet office, basically. Obviously, the Cabinet is run by the Prime Minister, Yep, but you, PM chairs it. Yep. Yeah, but you and your team actually sort of make it work, right? We do. I mean, we put together, so um, policy papers come up from agencies, ministers will bring, uh, sitting below Cabinet, there are a number of Cabinet committees because um, Cabinet itself could not get through all the business in, in one meeting on a Monday. So there's an enormous amount of work goes through during the week as well. Right. So each of those Cabinet committees will meet and will have different subject matter um, expertise. They all process papers as well. And then those decisions that have been made by the committees come through for sign-off at Cabinet. And most of those will get ticked through, but there might be something significant where uh, the committee chair has felt that actually the whole of Cabinet should look at this. So that paper will come up directly to Cabinet. Yeah, that's the sad thing. So you not just have to sit through the Cabinet meeting, 
but you or your staff actually also attend all the committee all meetings, all of the subcommittee meetings as well. And yeah, they we don't see that as a sad thing, though, Phil. That's, no, sorry, that's what sitting, we're here for. Sitting in meetings is, you know, for many people, it's a painful task. But true, but these are fascinating meetings, and and you know, I think back on some of the things that have come through in the time, just the time that I've been here, all of the decision making around COVID. I mean, actually, the stuff that's happening is. Um, is contemporary and interesting and, you know, it is, you try not to overuse the word privilege, but I always feel it's an incredible privilege to be sitting listening to that decision making and um, and keeping track of what the decisions are. How big a team have you got to make that all work? There's 25 in the office, but there are a number of parts to the office. And I always think of the Cabinet Office team as kind of falling into two halves. Mm -hmm. So there is a Secretariat team uh, with a Deputy Secretary who manages them and they do the day-to-day business of keeping the cabinet machine going. All so, the paper. Yep, all the paper. They are providing uh, summaries for ministers. They do all the minutes. They attend all the meetings. And they answer lots of questions from officials about um, getting material up to cabinet, what sort of things should come here. Because you've got whole manuals of how to do that. We yes. have, we have. Yep. There's a registry team who are responsible for keeping the record of the cabinet. So we hold all the papers back to, you know, back in the day. Yeah. Um, all agencies are supposed to keep their own papers, but there has to be a central record somewhere. So right. we have a registry team who manages that and we got get a lot of requests for papers too. So there's and a lot of basically librarian type people. Yeah, those some of sort of really organised yep. kind of clever chaps. Great information right. skills. Yep. Um, and then there's what we call the constitutional and honours team. So in the cabinet office, we also have uh, the team that administer the honours system. So the honours unit. We provide advice and support to the Office of Governor-General, kind of policy advice and support. Yes. And we're responsible for managing the relationship, New Zealand's relationship with the palace, So, okay. which is something I didn't know anybody did before I came here, but, that? um, but that sits here. So things like royal visits, facilitating messages that might come from the king, New Zealand's response to the death of the Queen, we led that response work. So that happens here rather than at Government House? I'm responsible for Government House as well through that clerk of the Executive Council role. And they do the um, operational day-to-day support for the person of the Governor-General and run her programme. My God, how many roles do you have? That's Um, just terrifying. (laughs) So let's talk about that Executive Council thing and how that relates to your work with the Mm Governor-General. You provide advice to Cabinet. Yes. About the cabinet manual and how that works and all the rules and the constitutional sort of expectations and so on, the conventions and yep. things. You do exactly the same role for the Governor-General as well. Right? Yes, we provide advice and support to her too. Is it the same kind of advice? Uh, she may have different questions or she might require different advice, say, than the Prime Minister does, but the advice would be the same. If the, if the, oh, yeah, if yes. the same issue came up, yeah. then, um, then yes. The advice to the Governor-General uh, would tend to be around um, an assurance say that papers that are going through executive council or orders that are coming to her are in order for her to agree to, or facilitating her requests for further information about something, those right. kinds of things. Right, right. Yeah, just making sure that all the ducks are appropriately in a row. Yep. Yeah. You would be pretty much the person who knew whether the thing that was being taken to the Governor-General for signing off was actually what was agreed in the Cabinet. Because not all of the cabinet turns up to the Governor General, you could potentially have a minister turn up and go, No, 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 this is this is definitely what was decided. Um, usually what she'll be signing off is an order in council, which uh, by the time it gets through cabinet and gets to her, it's been drafted by the Parliamentary Council Office and the language of it is clear. So um, yeah, str- I can't think you of a situation where a minister would go rogue in executive council. No, nor can I, but I love the idea that you'd be the person that knew. I would throw myself between the Governor-General and the Minister, Phil, would be no question. <laughs> um, you do kind of have that role in a way, though, in that later this year, when there's an election, if there was a change of government, then the ministers continue in a sort of a caretaker role in the meantime until yep. uh, a new government is formed. You kind of like have to hold it all together, making sure that no one sort of 
overreaches their bounds yeah. and set on the right train. And, and understands what the rules of the game are. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that is an important part of the um, role of the Cabinet Office and the Cabinet Secretary um, in an election year. So we've already put out some advice to people about uh, how the what the kind of the rules of the game are in the pre-election period. In New Zealand, as you'll know, there's no caretaker convention before the election. So in the three months before the election, the government can continue to govern right up. But there are two areas where traditionally uh, governments have chosen to exercise restraint, and that's around significant appointments and um, government advertising. After the election, you're right, then we're in a caretaker period. And we get a lot of requests for advice at that time about um, what ministers and agencies you know, should and shouldn't do during that period. And really it is a period in which, uh, for the most part, you should adopt a holding position as far as you can until the outcome of the election is known. Yeah. And, and then once it's clear who's going to form the next government, the outgoing government should act on the advice of the incoming government. So, yeah, a, a significant part of my role is answering those requests but also uh, leaning in where you can see things happening where there might need to be some a, a reminder about what those conventions require. Yeah, because sometimes a couple of months before it's clear what's going on after yep. the election. Yeah, and especially if you ever find yourself in a situation where there's some sort of crisis going on, yeah, so exactly. an emergency, yeah, there are decisions that have to be made and there are different conventions and sort of patterns that enable you to do that um, and that's the kind of thing we'll provide advice on, whether it's that you have a, a short-term temporary solution or whether there's consultation with other parties, right. those kinds of options that yeah. you can step through. So that's the sort of advice we'd give during that time. I was surprised to read that not all countries, even in the Westminster system of government, have a kind of a fully written out what cabinet should do, what no. the ministers, what they shouldn't do, you know, what their responsibilities are, sort of thing. Yeah, no, the New Zealand cabinet manual was um, was quite revolutionary, I think, when it started, and in fact, the UK picked up on our model and um, their own cabinet manuals based on the work that we'd done. So we, I think, our first cabinet manual was 1979. Um, I think the first cabinet secretary was allowed into the room in about 1948 to start taking minutes, but you know, and they had assembled various notes of procedure. But yeah, that having a document we call the cabinet Cabinet Manual, their authoritative guide to executive government in New Zealand, having um, all those things set out in one place is a real advantage. And you do hear it brought up in Parliament sometimes, where yeah. the opposition will say, this was done, is that fully in accord with the Cabinet Manual or what have you? If something's not, who enforces it? Usually it's the Prime Minister's call. So right. the Cabinet Manual gets its authority from Cabinet. So at the beginning of every new administration, the first Cabinet meeting, Cabinet will agree to abide by the Cabinet Manual. They adopt it and say that they'll conduct themselves in accordance with it. I mean, some of what the manual reflects is actually law. So um, yeah. so there might be other consequences. But for a lot of the stuff that is conventional tradition, it's the Prime Minister is kind of the final arbiter. That first meeting must be quite fun. The first things they do are actually agree that they're going to play by the rules and what the rules are. Yes, yeah, which I think is really significant. And that's why back in the day this was called the Cabinet Office Manual. Now it's just the Cabinet Manual because it's Cabinet's rule book. You know, they adopt it and that's what gives it its authority. Very useful for you. Yeah. Actually, Phil, we're about to have a new edition of it come out. So the current Cabinet Manual is 2017, but in the next couple of months there'll be an updated version uh, that'll come out. It's a refresh rather than a rewrite, but there's been a fair bit of law change since 2017. Yeah, I noticed something in there that I thought, oh, I thought that had... Changed. Yes. Probably has, and it'll be fixed shortly. So. There we go. Okay. If there's a change of government, then the office of the clerk, your sort of parliamentary mirror image over there, they train new MPs. Yep. Do you train ministers? We have induction um, sessions for them. Yep. We're, and we've just done that actually because we started the year with a reshuffle and a number of new ministers coming in. So yes, we'd hold uh, a number of sessions for ministers. 
about you know how to be a minister, the kinds of things they'll face. We get a, a senior minister in to talk to them about the reality of day-to-day. We'll get the chief ombudsman in to speak with them, the privacy commissioner. We do a session on conflicts of interest and um, those kinds of matters. But yeah, it's a reasonably comprehensive program. And we try and do that really early on, partly because that's when they've, uh, you know, they need the information most, but also because their days fill up so quickly, it gets really difficult oh, to find time to yeah. get them all together otherwise. I can imagine. I've seen ministers' diaries and they're terrifying. Yeah, they, it's really busy. I think the volume of work that ministers have, I'm not, not sure it's always understood how much they have to read, you referred to that earlier, mm. and just how busy the days are. So yeah, to get four or five or six of them together Before um, they, is a bit of a challenge. Yeah, I can well imagine. Good on you. Very necessary, though, because the job is really not like anything else. No, I think that's right. And I know that um, ministers find particularly those sessions with senior current or former ministers really helpful just to talk to somebody else who's done the job and get some sense of how to manage the volume of information that's going to come at them and the decision-making that they have to do. That was Rachel Hayward, who is both the Secretary of Cabinet and Clerk of the Executive Council. You've been listening to The House at the Whakaranga Koe Ki Te Whare, he hotake apuake nga teitahi putia awhina, no mai, i te paramata. Mātua.